As we continue to praise our King, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 15, I'm going to begin in verse 42 and read through chapter 16 and verse 8. Mark chapter 15, verse 42, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is the very Word of God. And we can be thankful to God that we have access here. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, beginning in verse 42. This is the word of the Lord. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen... They went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And, they, and he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me now? O holy triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you praise this morning. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son incarnate, the one who was born, who lived, who died on the cross, who was buried and on the third day rose from the dead on that first Easter Sunday, the one who appeared to so many eyewitnesses who saw him alive from the dead, who saw him then ascend into heaven, 
with the promise that He is coming again to judge the living and the dead. We pray, Holy Father, that You would help us to believe in the true Christ today, the risen Christ, the one who is reigning even now, the one who we say is our King. We want to render You loyalty and obedience and faith and trust today. Lord, we ask that You would help us to do that, that there are those here who do not know this King or have not submitted to this King, who have not recognized Him as having died for sinners and risen from the dead, ascending and coming again. That King is the one we worship. Father, we ask that You would help us and teach us to praise this morning. We thank You that the name of Jesus Christ, the risen One, is being broadcast throughout the world even this morning. We thank You that faithful Bible preaching churches are heralding the good news of the risen Christ on this Easter Sunday morning. Lord, we know that our trust is not in ceremonies, it is not in rituals, it is not even in the calendar, but it is in the living Christ, the one who is alive right now. We do thank you for the preaching of the gospel that is going on in Cochrane, as Pastor Josh Carey is there, pastoring and preaching at Grace Cochrane Church, who we are so closely affiliated with. We pray that Christ would be seen and known there in that town this morning. Help Pastor Josh as he heralds your word. And Lord, as we think of our own city in its darkness, a spiritual darkness even on the beauty of this Easter Sunday morning, people trapped in their sin, people trapped within themselves, people trapped under the judgment of God in this city of Calgary, we ask, Lord, that there would be a mass repentance, a mass turning away from sin, a mass turning away from the follies of all of the evils of this present age, a mass turning from all of that and a turning to the risen Christ. Father, we pray for the various levels of government who have under your rule and reign, a, a stewardship of responsibility. We pray for our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau this morning. We ask that he would submit himself to the risen Christ. We pray for Premier Danielle Smith. We pray that she would turn from her sins and believe on the Lord Jesus. We pray for our Mayor Jody Gondek. We pray that she would flee from the wrath to come and find refuge in Christ alone. Lord, we thank You for the gift of Your Word. We don't deserve Your Word. We don't deserve Your grace. We don't deserve even this Christ who lived and died and rose from the dead. But You have given us such a gift. Oh Lord, we want to give You praise and thanks for Your generosity, Your liberality, Your kindness to us that we can worship You in spirit and in truth as we believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the One who is risen. He is risen indeed. And we pray this in His living name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I must begin my time sharing with you this morning on this wonderful Easter Sunday, just reckoning back to Good Friday, and I was planning to preach, and uh, 
that day with my family, we were at a rodeo. And we had had everything planned. I was going to be back well in time to be able to make the Good Friday service. We were far in the depths of southern Alberta. I thought I'd, we'd make it back in time, but it was apparent that after two hours, being two hours behind in the rodeo schedule, that we were not going to get back in time. Maybe I would have made it halfway through the sermon. So I called up Gavin, and, and he graciously came and brought a, brought a word, brought from Romans 3, and speaking of the great exchange, the exchange that takes place when we trust Christ and put our sins on Him and His righteousness is credited to us. This is the heart of the good news of the gospel. And it's a, it's a message that you need to believe this morning. And so with all of that, I was thinking a lot about logistics, though. On Friday, I was definitely, how, 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 many, how long does it take to drive from Brooks to Calgary? Uh, you know, how am I going to get here? Thinking about logistics. Think about practical troubles. And the Lord was teaching me many things through that. And I, as I came to realize, oh, like so many times, the Lord wants to teach me, and I think probably teach you, in preparation as I'm going to preach a sermon, He has to have me go through it and have it applied to me. So I hope as he, the Lord has been applying this message to me, He will in turn apply it to you. Because I think it's quite relevant here on this Easter Sunday morning with all this joy that we have, with the windows open, and the hope of spring. But when you come to the Gospel of Mark, as we saw, if you have in your paper Bible, I don't know if it's in those digital ones, in your paper Bible there will be some brackets there. And, and after the, with a section I read in, in chapter 16, there will be a longer version. But the end of Mark's Gospel ends abruptly, very abruptly. It ends, and it's kind of shocking, it's very open-ended, and it's kind of what you would expect if you've been following along as we've been looking at Mark's gospel. Mark presents a problem that is not easily solved. How does a person, that's how I'll summarize it, how does a person go on in the next step of life when the possibility of hope is lost? How do you keep going when hope is lost? Now, it's Easter Sunday, you've come here, you've got a new set of clothes on, you've got the hope of spring. Like I say, the windows are open. First time all winter, right? Uh, you know, you have that buoyant optimism this morning. You know, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. But, but the truth is, we know as soon as Easter Sunday passes... There's going to be that lingering reality that all is not right in the world. Crisis still surrounds us. Anxiety can grab us by the throat. Fear can chill us like that cold wind that will keep on coming. And the places then that we can look to for our hope in those circumstances, they can seem very sealed off from us, cut off from us. Whether it's our health, you get a diagnosis, or our wealth, something happens financially. We look at our nation, our family, our spouse, our own inner drive, and something happens. 
and we feel sealed off from all of these things that gave us hope, cut off from them. We're left on the outside. And this is the hopeless scenario that a group of women experienced as they went went toward the garden tomb of Jesus Christ. The one who, he died on Friday, stayed dead on Saturday, and on the third day, then the problem presented itself to these women. The question, the problem formed in a question is this. Who will roll away the stone for us? Their question is historical. It's contextual. It's very practical. And it reveals this deeper question, I think. This deeper question, which all of us will ask, which is more along the lines of, what do I do when hope is sealed off or cut off from me? What am I supposed to do? Hope is gone. Now what? I'm going to look at three three angles of this. First, the question. Second, the answer. And the third is the resurrection of hope. And that's my... That's where I'm going this morning because I'm guessing even though you got all dressed up for Easter Sunday and you came here, there may be in your life quite a bit of hopelessness. Maybe you've struggled with the chaos that is around you. Maybe you've, you've wrestled with what is going on in the world, the anxiety that is in you, the fear that faces you. And you struggle with that. Well, then my hope is that this message will be, as it were, God taking His Word as a gift to you and showing His providential care for you. And it is then His Word for you. That's that's the hope. Now, to the question. Now, you might be familiar with the events of, it's called Passion Week or Holy Week. You know, maybe you've been tracking that. Uh, there's these historical events that happened in in the, that first in 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 the early early years of that third decade, third, 33 A.D. around there. There's historical events, and it puts us in this world of Judaism, something that you might not be very familiar with. It, it's Judaism, yet it was living under Roman occupation. And it was recast with this long-standing Greek culture that had been around since the arrival of Alexander the Great uh, to that region in about 332 B.C., before Christ. So it's, so it's Jewish, it's Roman, and it's Greek. So quite a, quite a melting pot there. Jesus Christ had been welcomed into Jerusalem, just like we were singing about Jerusalem. He had been welcomed into Jerusalem in the so-called triumphal entry the week before on what's called Palm Sunday. And he was sort of like a new Alexander being welcomed to Jerusalem. Cheers and people shouting his name and palm branches being waved. And yet by Friday... He was executed by the Roman state, put to death as a capital punishment, and also put to death as an act of appeasement to the Jewish political leadership. Also showed a lot of Rome's efficient government bureaucracy. 
This is how we do things. We just nail guys to a cross to do away with them. You caused trouble for Rome. They punished you. They humiliated you. And then they made sure that everybody else knew about it. That's how they operated. Now in Mark chapter 15, verse 42 and 43, it illustrates what happens when your hope has died. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a faithful Jew, a leader, he's had this hope of redemption, we're told. He's had it firmly in mind. And then in verse 43, we're told, he took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, Pilate, as we read, he was surprised. He he actually didn't think Jesus would have been dead. So he had to go get confirmation from one of the centurions because the Roman style of execution was intended to be a slow death. A slow death in public. You see kind of how the government was working back then? He wanted everybody to see it. Make sure everybody could see this slow death as a deterrent. Nevertheless, verse 45, Pilate granted, notice, the corpse. He granted the corpse to Joseph. Never doubt that Jesus was truly dead. It's not like, oh, some, he just kind of magically went away. No, he is dead. There was no soul sleep. There was no metaphorical death. He was stone cold dead. And when that happens, as you may have experienced, then we're on the undertaker's time. You know, dig, grave digger, dig. Dig, grave digger, dig. That big old hole just keeps getting bigger. So dig, grave digger, dig. I got the cowboys in the front. They know that I'm quoting from Corb Lund, that great theologian. No, they don't know. None of you know who I'm talking about. It doesn't matter. It's just my own stuff. But I can guarantee you've stood by a graveside. Right? You stood by a graveside. You know what it feels like standing there in the cold and the wind's blowing and you're looking down at the hole in the ground Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. That taking down of Jesus is sometimes called the deposition of Christ. It's been the subject of Renaissance artists like Michelangelo. They try to capture the clumsiness and the messiness of dealing with a dead body. Joseph took him and put him into this tomb cut from a rock. See, the Jews buried their dead. It's significant. They buried their dead. They didn't burn them. They believed that the body was a gift from God and was to be treated with dignity even in death. They believed that on the last day, the day of final judgment, 
there'd be a resurrection from the dead for all who are God's people. So resurrection wasn't something new. So for example, in the apocalyptic vision of the prophet Daniel, we're told in Daniel chapter 10, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Daniel 10.3 And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. It was a strong Jewish belief in the hope of resurrection. This was Joseph's belief as a faithful Jew. And he's a faithful Jew putting Jesus' whole body in the tomb, awaiting then the last day, the final day, the end of days in the final judgment when there would be resurrection. Now this is just something just on the side. What did Joseph wrap Jesus in? What does it say? He wrapped him in a linen shroud. Now there's no need to speculate about the shroud of Turin and you know, these hoaxes associated with these different supposed shrouds of Jesus. But, but of all the shrouds that, that Joseph could have used, he chose a linen shroud. And, and could it be, this is what I've wondered, could it be that Joseph expected Jesus to rise from the dead as a special man, as a man clothed in linen, who had given the prophecy that I just quoted in Daniel chapter 10. In Daniel 10, it says this, verses 5 and 6, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Whatever Joseph's thought when he placed Jesus clothed in linen into the tomb. Joseph had an expectation that Jesus would be resurrected. Maybe not on the third day, but on the last day. And so Joseph went ahead and he sealed Jesus in by rolling a heavy stone across the face of the tomb. The only way, of course, to protect dead bodies the bodies of your loved ones, dead loved ones from grave robbers, was to secure them with something that was immovable. And so that's, that's why the large stone rolled across the open tomb, you know, kind of like a heavy barn door or something. Maybe that's how you're feeling there. You're, you're pondering that question, who's going to roll this stone away? It's, it could be parent. Not to pick on kids screaming. By the way, we love having kids here. It just adds to the spice of life. But think about, think about the problem, though. The problem for Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. They'd, they'd waited. they got to wait. They're Jews. They have to wait for the Sabbath to end. They can't go doing work on the Sabbath. They've got to wait 
till the Sabbath is over. Saturday is the Jewish Sabbath. they got to wait till the Sabbath is done. And then at the earliest possibility, the earliest opportunity, then they go to the tomb. And we're told in chapter 16, verse 1, that they brought spices. They brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, so that's Sunday, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Now, at this point, just to be clear, these women were not hopeful of a resurrection on that day. They were not. They were simply paying respect to a dead friend who who deserved really to have the dignity of having his decaying body covered up with a nicer smell. That's why they went. I was talking to my boys the other day about how badly boys can stink, and and their dad too. Um, And so then you get these products that you spray, right? These, you, know, sp- you spray them on your clothes or spray them in your room. You get Febreze or Axe body spray. But most of these are made of what? Urea. You're actually, sp- I told them, you're spraying urine all over everything. You know. So what, is the BO better or not? But that's basically what these ladies were going to do make a sad situation tolerable. Take their resurrection hopes, put them on the shelf as they cope with reality. Jesus died. He wasn't rising. He was going to rot along with all of their hopes. Let's go put some spices there so when you walk by, it doesn't have an awful stench. That's the level of what they were worried about. So their question then, as they went to the tomb, was this. Verse 3, they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Let's, Let's try to minimize how sad this is. Let's not have this be a spectacle of stench as they walk by, when people walk by. And so that's how it goes, right? All they could think of in that question was how to do the next thing. How to get on with life. How to put one foot in front of the other. They were essentially hopeless. All they could think about was how the heavy stone problem could be solved. And their their question reveals, I think, what we can all feel. We only look at problems that are kind of right at the end of our nose. Like the stuff that's right immediately. Like what what am I going to do to get through today? Not worrying about eternity. What what about today? We, We can fail to have any kind of hope in God, hope in God's future, hope in God's plan. And all we worry about is logistics. How am I going to get from Brooks to Calgary? Right? Application to me. Jesus had taught them, but they'd forgotten, as we all do in the Sermon on the Mount, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
and life more than logistics. To the question of the heavy stone, those women were practical. But like many of us, they had lost their hope. And it was sealed off, not just by the rock, but also because they'd handled the dead corpse. They saw their hope for Messiah breathe His last two days before, and they were just moving on with reality as if Jesus hadn't said anything and as if God didn't exist. That's how they're acting. Because they'd been crushed by circumstances. And I, this is where you might be here and I've never met you, but I can guarantee I know what's going on in your life. Because you're here this morning and you for sure have witnessed some kind of trauma. You've seen something. You've been to a funeral. Things have happened to you. And you know what you've done, my guess is? You've switched into that practical survival mode. And if you don't think you have, just ask somebody who knows you. And they'll say, oh yeah, yep, one foot in front of the other, acting like nothing happened, just getting on with their day. Something that gutted your hope, made you ask a simple logistical question like, Who's going to roll away the stone for us? Maybe you've been in a hospital, as I have, and you have those awful discussions about end-of-life issues with somebody that you care about. Or just, you know, you, you go to the funeral home, and you've got to sit down with this guy that's done millions of funerals, and you've got to plan a funeral for somebody you love. Well, then you know how these women felt. But what you may not know is the answer to their question. And the answer was unexpected and it was miraculous. It was unexpected and it was miraculous. Because the first thing they found, as I come to my second point, the first thing they found in this answer was that their anxiety was unfounded. Their anxiety was unfounded. Verse 4, Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Problem solved. Problem solved. They didn't solve it. But the logistics had changed. Maybe their, their luck had changed in the supposed ebb and flow of Luck and fate that people live by. So they went to the tomb. They went into the tomb expecting to find Jesus and go about their business. So they're still not believing. But what did they find? Verse 5. Entering the tomb, they saw a woman, sit, saw a young man rather, sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. I mean, this young man was an angel. Not a chubby baby with wings, you know, like you might expect. But a being who overwhelms humans with majesty and power and brilliance. They were alarmed, panicked, scared. 
This was not what they had planned on Sunday morning. They hadn't, they hadn't planned for that, but things are changing quickly. Problems solved. New problems presented. They got in the tomb, but an alarming non-human being met them there. What are they to do? And this angel answered their deeper question. Their deeper question, Mark 16, verse 6, he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So plugging that in to the, the deeper question that lingers in the heart, lingered in the hearts of the women, it was not merely who would roll away the stone, but actually, is there any hope? Is there any hope? And then the angel's answer was that the Jewish hope of resurrection in the last day had been brought immediately forward, immediately into their presence, because the same Jesus that they knew, the local boy, the boy from Nazareth, who was executed by the state, that same Jesus was not there. And so the angel said very clearly, He has risen. He has risen, full stop. He didn't have to give some great explanation. No, this one who was dead was a corpse. He has risen. But just to make the point to the weak and the hopeless, to the anxious and the fearful like you and me, the angel explained, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. He ain't there. You know, the, the, these women, they've been nursing their sorrows for sure. They've been worrying about large stones to be moved. And they'd forgotten the promise that Jesus himself had made that he would rise on the third day. He had already told them. They had forgotten that he would bring resurrection forward from the last day by laying down his life and John 10, 17, him taking it up again. They had forgotten that it was predicted that he would be crushed and that he would make himself an offering for sin, a sin offering in death, but that he would, in the language of Isaiah 53.10, he would see his offspring. He would prolong his days. And the will of the Lord would prosper in his hand. How does that happen if you're not alive? He's got to keep on living for that to happen. And so in this very practical very evidential, in this kind of show-me kind of way, the angel simply said, He is not here. See the place where they laid Him. You know, there are times, there have been times for myself over the years, I came to Christian faith a couple years out of high school, and, you know, so, that's a long time ago, 
Uh, but over the years, there are times of discouragement, times when I've struggled with doubt. And, and I'm sure if you're a Christian believer, you've felt the same. But, but I've been reminded time and time again that there is a simple truth. And it is, it is evident to anyone who wants to believe it. It is the evidence that demands a verdict, as one guy put it. It is the truth that the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. The facts don't care about my feelings. I just kind of steal from a Jewish guy, Ben Shapiro, who needs to actually pay attention to that, actually. Just the facts. The truth. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And from this then, this fundamental truth, the truth of the empty tomb, everything for these women and for all people changed. He is risen, so the angel gave them then his own sort of great commission. His own sort of commissioning to go and tell. Look at verse 7. But go, 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 tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Matthew's Gospel adds a further discussion about Jesus' resurrection appearances to the disciples, including his great commission instruction to close out his Gospel book. Mark closes his gospel with this ending in the earliest manuscripts that's that's shorter with this commissioning of sorts. And so then a new set of logistics is put in place. People, places, and then a promise of seeing the risen Christ. The empty tomb was the answer that aimed to reorient their entire lives in the direction then of this newfound hope. No longer worrying about rocks and spices and stink, but going and telling. This is what happens actually when someone actually believes in the risen Christ. That's what happens to their lives when they believe in a saving way. They're they're not looking down at all the hopeless worries of this life, but they see beyond the horizon. They look beyond the cares of this life. They see everything in light of everything beyond the horizon, and they look with hope, a hope that has been secured by the risen Christ. As Gavin had in the liturgy, the Christ who is risen, who is interceding on our behalf. He's actively praying. He's busy. And it is a hope that is evidenced by the empty tomb. It's a hope that's evidenced by all the empty subpoenas, all the empty empty court documents, all the empty charges that would be laid against you, as we heard about in Romans 8. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of the secure hope that is in Christ Jesus. Does Mark's Gospel end with a nice resolution? No. No. What you find in Mark's Gospel is this abrupt and startling way of finishing off, which is basically the way he's been doing things all the way along. 
Mark concludes in verse 8 with such an honest response from real people. That's why I appreciate about it. We're told about these women in verse 8. How did they respond? Were they courageous champions for the faith after that? No. Mark tells on them. They went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. It's almost embarrassing to include verse 8 at the conclusion of the gospel. Fear, anxiety, being tongue-tied. But that's kind of how we respond when what is too, too good to be true when it, when it comes true. When all the sadness that we accepted for so long, when it's taken away for good, we don't really know how to respond. When hope is resurrected, what do we do? I don't know what to say. Did I miss something? But that's how these women responded. Now, the other Gospels fill in the eyewitness testimony about Jesus being alive from the dead. The disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, Jesus even eating some grilled fish. Talk about a detail. Oh, okay. He's not having beef for dinner. He's having fish, but you know we're told he, he eats fish. The invitation, as you know, to doubting Thomas to touch his hands and his side to confirm that it was really him in John chapter 20. After he'd also appeared to Mary Magdalene personally in the garden. So whether with more detail or with less detail, the gospel accounts give evidence of the risen Christ, the risen Christ that offers then a real ground for hope. I talked to a guy at the rodeo yesterday. He grew up in a Mormon family. And he, and he just said, yeah, well, you know, I, I have troubles with the Book of Mormon, he said, and I, I also got troubles with the Bible, you know, because people, different people interpret it different ways. And I just said, yeah, well, that's why you have to go back to the source. Don't go by people's interpretations. Go back to the Bible and what it says itself. Because that's actually the ground of your hope, of true hope. And that's, there's abundant evidence. If you don't want to believe it, that's, that's a different thing. But you can't say, oh well, this is, there's conflicts or there's not enough evidence here. That's hogwash. If you don't believe it, it's because you don't want to. You don't want to submit to the king. The disciples who traveled with Jesus saw him crucified and then saw the tomb empty and they saw him alive from the dead and then eventually because everybody's a little slow like me like you then they eventually they loosened their tongues and they started to speak because they had to because they had to because their hope had been resurrected it was just bursting out of them. They had to go and tell. He, he, he is alive. He, is, he was dead, but He is alive. 
And because of this resurrection, Jesus then offers eternal life from death and the forgiveness of sins that then can be applied, can be actualized, can be accepted. Jesus is alive right now, though he is unseen, because he physically ascended into heaven to return again visibly in judgment. And so this apocalyptic element changes everything too. Because our Easter is not just a happy metaphor for spring. It's not merely a happy renewal from a barren winter. That's what you're going to get in some so-called churches. But rather, Christ, risen from the dead, is the ultimate, the ultimate vindication of our hope. Without it, we are like those in the Apocalypse of John, the book of Revelation, who hear the angel's question, much like the women's question. Revelation 5.2, the question is asked, Who? Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Practically, practically speaking, who, who, who can do it? Who, who can do enough to reveal what God has for us? Who is good enough? Who is righteous enough? Who is righteous before God enough? Who is pure enough to atone for sin against God? Who, who can do that? And the natural response of John, just like the women, was this. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Hopeless. Nobody can do it. Nobody's good enough. All hope is lost. But in that vision in the book of Revelation, just like in Mark 16, hope is not lost. As Revelation 5 records, one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. He conquered. He can. And he can make you more than conquerors as we read earlier. So my hope is that this morning you see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ can't be shuffled into some tidy corner of your life. And that's what some of you have been doing. You like Jesus, you just want Him over there. The resurrection hope demands. Do you catch that? You are under a demand today. The resurrection hope demands that you look up from your practical anxieties and you see the Lamb slain for sinners, but the Lamb standing as, a, as yet being slain. And I conclude by considering that each of you falls into one of four categories this morning, four types of hearers, and, and so really, what I want you to consider now is your heart before the true God. The first group is this. If you're afraid, if you're afraid, 
Don't be alarmed. He is risen. If you are afraid, don't be alarmed. He is risen. Consider that. Consider the connection between your fear and his risenness. If you are afraid, do not be alarmed. He is risen. Or maybe you're here, and if you are unaware, if you are unaware, well, you shouldn't be now, but if you've been wandering through life blissfully unaware of the risen Christ, pay attention. Pay attention. He is risen. You cannot now ignore the risenness of Christ. He has an obligation on you now. If you're unconvinced, that's the third category. You might be here unconvinced. If you're unconvinced by this evidence, then beware. Beware. He is risen. (laughs) You're going to walk out of here being unconvinced, or you're watching on the screen somewhere, and you're unconvinced. Beware. God's going to cut you down. You've got a limited window to look to Christ. Don't pass up the opportunity. If you're unconvinced, beware. He is risen. But lastly, if you believe, go and tell. He is risen. Go and tell. Go and tell. That actually is what Easter Sunday is about. The evidence that Christ is risen, but then you go and tell. Tell of this. Let your tongue be loosed. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Christ is risen. It changes everything. It changes all the logistics. And that is what followers of the risen Christ do. His resurrection is the answer to all of our questions. All of our logistics are answered by the empty tomb. For our hope is in Him. He is risen. Amen. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we ask that you would open our tongues to sing the praise of the risen Christ, your own dear Son, and that in that praise we would boldly go and tell, for we have believed that he is risen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.